being able to trust God. Being able to trust God, and that's why He demands and requires faith of His children. He wants people that will trust Him. He wants people that have confidence in Him. That He is who He said He would. We heard all of these wonderful names of God. We know these names of God. But if we are not able to develop a trust in those names, then it has not experientially produced what the Lord intended. Every one of those names is given so that in different situations, you and I might be able to come to cast all of our load upon that name in whatever situation we're required at that moment, what we need, and the Lord can say, they trust me. And if we trust Him, we know that He's able. We know that He's going to take care of whatever we go through. We may not understand. I started preaching a sermon uh, just a couple of weeks ago when, let's see, what did I call it? When God doesn't make sense. And I didn't get very far in the message, but there's going to be a lot of times in your life that you're going to go through things that you're loving the Lord and serving the Lord And it's going to seem like God is not making sense. But God is looking to say, can I find some folks that will trust me? Because I built that whole message on Isaiah's verse that said, my ways are not your ways. Now we have to learn more and more about His ways. But His ways are so far above and beyond ours that we many times are not comprehending are able to even comprehend how God is putting this whole kingdom thing together to bring it to its determined end and uh, consummation according to His eternal plan. And His plan is eternal, by the way, because He declared the end from the beginning. That's what the Bible says in in uh, Revelation chapter 10. uh, One of the verses I read there, that's not what I'm preaching on, but I am preaching on it right this very moment. It said that the time that the mystery of God should be finished. And you and I fit into that mystery. We're part of that mystery. And I was giving the illustration of a 500-piece puzzle uh, recently. Uh, If you were putting a puzzle together, uh, you know, uh, and you get down and get 498 pieces put together. People used to make uh, frames, and, and, and I guess they'd put a finish on there and, put the puzzle in a frame, maybe because of all the hard work they did, if you want to develop patience, go get you a thousand-piece puzzle. Pray before you start. So, but if you put 498 pieces in that puzzle, and you get your frame already, and you say, oh, I can't wait to get this up, and you get it up, and somebody comes to your house, and they look up at your puzzle and what's the first thing they're going to probably say if they got the courage to say it? Huh? Yeah, if you got 498 pieces out of 500, though, what else would they say? What, what happened to the other two pieces? See, God's putting all the pieces together. And you and I are the pieces of the puzzle of the kingdom of God. I'm glad I've got a divine purpose, aren't you? I'm glad I've got something to live for that's eternal. I'm glad that I've invested my life 
in things and our family's life in things that are of eternal value. Amen. I'm so thankful for that. So we're all important. I got another sermon idea yesterday. I'm not going to preach it tonight either, but I'm preaching it right now. It's called Little Big Shots. Did any of y'all see that program that came on? I love that show. I thought it was coming back on this year. Is it on? Well, I've been missing that I'll have to go get it on demand. Amen. And the reason I got that title is because the Lord said over in Matthew there, one place he said, uh, he said, he's bringing the people before him and he said, uh, you know, he said, I'm going to say, I was hungry and you fed me or you didn't feed me. I was naked and you clothed me or you didn't clothe me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you came unto me. And so the disciples said, Lord, when, when, when did that happen? And he said, insomuch as you have done it to one of the least, the little big shot. Because he didn't mean they were least in the valuation of God. He meant they were looked upon as the least in society. They were considered the least but in God's sight, that, that might have been the least, but they were little big shots. Amen? In so much as you've done it to one of the least of these, you have done it unto me. That's pretty strong. Amen? So I always, always want to be aware of the little big shots around me. Amen? Because that's all I am is just a little big shot. Amen. That's all we all are without the Lord. Amen. Because if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth his own self. All right. Let's try to get to the text before we close here. Okay. Isaiah chapter 41. Now, I'm not going to preach on these first few verses, but I am preaching on them here for just a moment. <laughs> I'm going to go down to 21 and 20, uh, 22, but if you, this is a great chapter. If you look up at beginning with verse 10, uh, I, the Lord says it several times in these next few verses, and I know this is Old Testament and some of it's to Israel, but if it's a general, always remember, if it's a general overarching promise that is not confined to a specific prophetic moment or a specific his historical context uh, at a certain period of time. If it's an overarching promise that is supported by the rest of the Scripture throughout the Word, you can apply the meaning anytime in any dispensation. And uh, of course, a lot of proverbs is like that. Wise sayings they're they're not they're not uh, held to any historical context or any uh, you know prophetic context at a certain number of years. I mean. I mean, there's certainly certain, certain things in the Bible, the 70 years that uh, Jews were in captivity and Babylonian captivity, there would be some things said about them that you couldn't pull out and uh, necessarily apply to us because they were specific, prophetic for that particular period of time. But if it's an overarching promise uh, that spans uh, the, the, the Old Testament, New Testament, you can apply it at any time. That's part of rightly dividing the word of truth. So he starts off there in 10, says, Fear not, I am with thee. 
Now notice, when the Lord tells us to fear not, there's a reason we don't have to fear, but we're going to have to be the ones to produce the ability by faith not to fear. He makes it possible that we don't have to be given to fear because He's greater than any fear we're going to come up against. But we're going to have to be the one to produce this cause. We're going to have to be the one on this faith quest in every arena, in every situation, in everything that comes before us. We're going to have to be the one to produce the cause that lays hold of what is accessible and available to us through the covenant. So he says, fear not. This is a good time for this. Because a lot of people may be getting a little panicky, a little fearful about the coronavirus. Let's keep praying for our nation. Uh, we didn't have any in Arkansas till today. They said probably one. But let's keep believing for Arkansas. Let's keep believing for Camden. Let's keep believing for our state and our nation that the Lord will kill this virus off in Jesus' name. That those leading us will have the capacity to make wise decisions. Because when you hear this talked about... And man's solution, even people that believe in God, most of the time man's solution is, and I understand that that's part of the solution sometimes, and you have to have it because the world runs on it a lot. You have to throw, put money at the situation and put money at the situation. But we need people that can stand up and lead us spiritually, spiritual leaders that can stand up and say, let's bind this thing through the power of the Lord. Let's stand up in prayer as a united nation and stand for God and ask Ask God to forgive us as a nation for our sins and for the, the, the liberal leanings and ungodliness of people that are in places of position God. Let's ask God to forgive us like He said in 2 Chronicles 7.14. But if you're beginning to have a little panic or a little tendency, I'm just here to reassure you tonight, this is no different from any other fear situation. There ain't no need to sweat it. There ain't no need to worry about it. Don't get in a dither about it. You've got an immune system and you've got a God that's given you power to rise up strong in the name of Jesus and declare your victory before anything ever comes your way. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He said, don't be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold thee. With the right hand of my righteousness. And then he goes on here and, and he talks about it like in verse 12 is being war. And, and, and of course we know faith is to fight the battle on this earth. Battles will be over when we get to heaven, but it's to fight the battles here. He said in verse 12, he said, uh, verse 11, he said, They shall, the, the, the ones that come against you shall be ashamed and confounded. They'll be like nothing. That they that strive with thee will perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Amen. When you get strong in the Lord and you put demons to flight, put devils to flight, things that used to torment you, things that used to bother you, you have finally been able to set your foot down. It's not just a theological teaching in the Bible. It's becoming an spiritual reality in your life. And you've been able to set your foot down against those strong powers that came against you. And you, you wage the warfare of faith with a faith quest falling after faith until finally one day they had to succumb. They had to run they had to flee because see when you're when you're developing faith there's different people that's got to be persuaded there are different entities that have to be persuaded of your faith you have to come to the place that you have become persuaded that it's true not just true intellectually but true 
emotionally and volitionally, true, assuredly in your heart, knowing and certified, certain that it's true for you, that it works for you. You have to come to know it. And then when you come to know it for sure for yourself, you can make a believer out of the devil. You have to make the devil a believer. It's not enough for you to believe. You've got to make the devil believe. And when the devil believes, he will flee. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But he'll hang around just as long as he can. In every situation. And then, of course, naturally, God already knows. But in the court of heaven, it has to be certified that you have come to faith. It has to be certified that you've come to a legitimate faith. And we can't even please God without this faith. Why? Because I said He wants somebody to trust Him. He, he wants His people to believe in Him. He wants them to be radical in their belief. If He made a promise, He wants you to find a way and, 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 and He'll create situations or allow situations to come over the periods of time of your life. Where He will say, it's time for you to lay hold of this one. I'm focusing you in on this situation right now because can you imagine, can you even imagine all uh, the promises that God had to fulfill today in the world. Can you imagine all the people that came to a certified, validated faith around the world today? But can you imagine how many people there are that are having no faith? They, they haven't arrived at faith and they're in the battle. See, when you get to a place of true faith, you can rest. That's the result of faith. There remains a rest for the people of God. And it says over in Hebrews chapter 3 that that rest was there for the people as they came out of Egypt to go into the promised land. You know, it's called the promised land. And when God called Abraham to go out into a place that afterward He'd show him, He said He went out into a land dwelling in tents. He said with Isaac... He went out into a land of promise, not knowing where he went. You say, well, I don't know what's going on right now. I'm not sure where I'm going. Well, good. You're in the epic battle for faith. That's one of the qualifications. A lot of times you don't know where you're going. As long as you've got a God that knows where he's taking you, that's the only thing that really matters if you'll trust him. And so he goes on and talks about this war and this fight here. And what He's going to make us, if you go down in verse 15, what He's going to turn you into a new sharp threshing instrument. Having teeth. And you'll thresh the mountains, those obstacles in your way. And you'll beat them small. And make the hills like chaff. And you'll fan them and the wind will carry them away. And the whirlwind will scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord and glory and the Holy One of Israel. And then you go on down to verse... Um, and then he talks about making us trees, trees of importance, uh, planting the trees in verse 19. The greatness of our God. I was watching a show on TV recently, and it was talking about the underground caverns in the world, and the underground tunnels, and the things that go on. And this one particular show was talking about over in one of, I forget which country it was, but for hundreds of years, they've been mining this salt uh, way down under the earth, started, I think, back in the 1800s somewhere, mining. They, they, they have to 
they chiseled it off with hammers and chiseled. And they said there was a precursor to the modern elevator. They would load it, load this salt on these uh, buggies and take it over to this big board. And then they had horses way up top. Amen. With horsepower. Thank God we got somebody with real mighty power up at the top. Amen. Thank God. And so these horses would uh, pull the salt up to the surface. And they showed where they'd built all these things, the tunnels down underneath there and all the wood they had to use. And then they started describing a certain tree. I don't remember the name of the tree. I don't think I had heard of it before. But they said, this is the only tree in the world that could have been used in these salt mines. Because the way the fiber and so forth is made in the tree, it is able to handle the salt and absorb absorb what's coming in down here and, and maintain strength and uphold the thing. Now just think about that. Of all the trees in the world, God had one tree. God had one tree that could be used down there to enable them years ago Start bringing that salt up out of the earth. One kind of tree. God had one tree that He said one day, that tree's going to make a cross. That tree's going to make a cross. And so one day somebody didn't know what they was doing. They went out and cut out the tree. And they brought it in. They turned it into a cross. And it turned out to be the cross that our redemption was purchased upon. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Our God is great, isn't He? And I was watching another show just a week or so ago about our universe. I can't even fathom the universe. Our God is great. But it said that they discovered some 360, I believe 360 million light years away. Now, how could they know anything that happened that far away? Because light travels at, what is it, 186,000 miles a second? I'm telling you what, that's moving on. I thought it's miles. Is it feet? Well, either way, it's on the move. It's faster than Superman. Yes, it is. And they discovered uh, this this action that took place out there, way out there. And they said there was an explosion so big that it swallowed the equivalent of fourteen Milky Way galaxies. That one explosion. That's our galaxy that we live in. Swallowed the equivalent of it. You think you'll have plenty of stuff to do in eternity? You think God's got enough lined out for us for all eternity? Well, let me get on to my sermon. 716, wow. Oh, I know what it is. That's supposed to be 616 from this past weekend. i got an hour and 14 minutes left, brother. <laughs> and nobody left to listen to me. <laughs> but anyway, he came down here and he said, he'd make, these, make us trees. You know, he said, we'll be trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that's something that's really been planted. Trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Why? That He might be glorified. Now he comes down to verse 21 and he says, Produce your cause. Produce your cause. Saith the Lord, 
Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us, show us what shall happen. Because if you bring forth your strong reasons, like you ought to, and if I produce my cause, and if I, by faith and trust, lay hold in genuine, authentic faith on God, I'm going to produce something. I'm a producer. You are a producer. We're supposed to produce things in our life. Amen. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. We produce whereby are given us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. I want to get a nature like God. I want to feel like God. I want to think like God. I want to be touched with compassion like God. I want as much of God's characteristics in me as I possibly can have. And where I don't have God's characteristics in me, I'm going to wage a warfare until I bring them into me. Glory to God. Because the Lord said, giving all diligence, add to your faith. That's your initial faith. That's your saving faith. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue knowledge, that's experiential knowledge with God. And to knowledge temperance, and to temperance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. I can't not be a lovely person. I don't have any choice. I've got to love. I can't not be a merciful person. I've got to be merciful. I can't not be a blessing person. I live to bless. I live to serve. I love to live to love. I live to touch other people. Reach out and touch somebody with the love of God. Amen. He said, for if these things be in you, if... I got to produce the cause. He he put it all out there for me to change myself. He put it all out there to develop my character. He put it all out there for me to defeat the foe. He put it all out there for me to fulfill my purpose. He put it all out there for me to overcome sin. He put it all out there, but I got to produce my cause. (sighs) Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons. Oh yeah, we got to have those reasons of praise and prayer. Praise and prayer and confidence and persuasion and faith and prohibition against the devil. Oh yes, we need prohibition. We need to prohibit the devil from coming into our lives. And he'll hold you in any given area just as long as he can until you finally get tired of it and get fed up with it and say, whatever it takes to wage this warfare, to change me, God gave me a promise. I'm going to put forth my effort into it. I'm not going to sit here and let the devil run roughshod over me and my family and my home and my household and my marriage and my money or anything else or my health. I'm going to stand up for the glory of God. Let them bring them forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. Or declare us things for to come. 
How you've been wavering on your declaration. You've been wavering on your declaring. You've been wavering on your profession of faith. The Bible says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Nothing wavering. For He is faithful that promise. You're not going to have a problem with God doing His part if you do your part. If you get on the Word and stand on it, say, well, I may not be perfect. I may not even make it the way I should. But I'll tell you one thing. I'll go out of this life believing the Word. I'll go out of this life trusting in God. That's what I'll leave. Faith. The quest of faith. Because all faith has to be adjudicated in the court of heaven. When you say, well, I'm a good person, that doesn't mean you have faith. You say, well, I'm a Christian, that doesn't mean you're walking in faith. The Bible says we walk. You know, walk is a continuity of steps. So when you get up tomorrow morning, this is another day to walk in faith. When you get up Sunday morning, that's another day to walk in faith. It's walking seven days a week in faith. We walk by faith. Our steps are ordered by the Lord. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by sight. And sight encompasses a lot of things. Like, any time, I wrote down here, every time that you raise faith up to begin to believe God, the forces uh, that, that will cause the ire of the devil to rise. Every time you decide to believe God for a certain area, then He immediately comes with a counterattack to say, I'm not going to let you believe that. I'm not, I'm not going to let you have a certified faith. I'm, I, you can say you believe God, but give me two days to work up a plan. I'll knock you on, uh, you know, on your backside. I'll knock you down in about two days. Because every time you say you're going to believe God, the, the goal of believing is arriving. When you say, I'm going to run a race, so I'm going to run the 440. I'm going to run the quarter of a mile. I ran the 880 a couple of times when I was in high school, and I hated it. It's one thing to say you're going to run the 880 and compete. But between the start and the finish, there's a lot of gut-wrenching stuff. But that's the only way people win. they got to get to the finish line. I want to finish in faith, don't you? He's the author and finisher of our faith. He'll take us through in faith if we'll trust Him. We're all the way to the end and won't have to sweat it when we get to the end. The Bible, Paul said, I have a desire. I mean, that, that's pretty advanced thinking there. He said, I have a desire. I'm not going to sweat the coronavirus. I, I, got, I got Lord protecting me, but I got, he said, I got a desire to depart me with Christ. And the Lord said, okay, well, we'll see what kind of way we're going to let you leave, Paul. How about the guillotine? How about the guillotine? And a man so advanced, staring it down, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept faith. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be offered. I'm ready. I'm ready to be offered. I'm going I'm to be that sacrifice, Lord. Amen. The time of my departure is at hand. And God took him right on through it, and he's one of the greatest saints that ever lived in recorded history. Praise God. Oh, bring forth your strong reasons. 
There has to be a determination in heaven, a certification that you've arrived at faith. By faith, the elders obtained a good report. The Bible says through faith they obtained promises. They wrought righteousness. They put to flight the armies of the aliens. uh, And others were tortured and persecuted that they might receive a better resurrection. You know, some people pay a bigger price for their faith than others. They're willing to lay it all down. They're willing to lay it all down. It says actually says some of those people that we never heard of, never know of, They've laid their lives down. They've become martyrs. It says those kind of people even have a higher level of resurrection. It says the world's not worthy. Am I loud enough, y'all? Thank God. I've got to wind up here. So when it's adjudicated in the courts of heaven between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and they certify that you have legitimate faith in that area, and then declare you justified. Your first justification is your salvation justification. That's the biggest one under which all the other ones abide. That's when you get justified by faith to to be saved. But we know in Isaiah 43, the Lord said to His people, Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. We know that Paul said even of our Lord Jesus Christ, He was justified in the Spirit. Well, why did Jesus have to be justified? What does that mean? It means to be declared in in godly right standing. It didn't mean that Jesus had to be justified for any sin. It means He had to be justified to fulfill every step on the path to the cross. It meant He had to meet every temptation on the way to the cross and overcome it. It meant that at every step He took, He fulfilled every prophecy. And God in heaven, as He looked to the Father, would look at Him and say, Ah, you completed that step. I declare that's righteous. You made that step. You made it all the way to the cross. Then He got to the cross. And the Lord had already told Him, He said, uh, ahead of time, He said, You destroy this temple. He said, You destroy this temple. And in three days, I, I, I will raise it up. Sure, it's by the power of the Spirit. But because He was justified and perfect and sinless and holy, and He'd met every demand of a holy God and a sovereign God, uh, He said ahead of time, I'm going to raise myself up. Uh, yes. So you're justified, and then once you're justified in an area of believing, in the area of your life that you're trusting God in, then there is imputation. God imputes righteousness to your account. And immediately there's a release of mighty grace into that area. And whether He uses, whether he uses uh, angelic host to bring to pass what needs to happen... Whether it's something inside of you that is effectuated by the power working of the Holy Spirit and His grace. Whether it is some other human instrument that God may choose to change your situation without them even knowing that they're doing it. Or whether it is somebody in ministry that He uses to change or help your situation. Or whether even it is a divine visitation, a, a manifested, manifested visit of the Lord Himself. God has four or five different ways that He always uses once grace is put to your account. Because He said, They that receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. And I want to just close with this right quick as I close because I felt like I should say this in light of the coronavirus. We all know Brother Jerry preached a lot on Psalm 91 here lately. Where we uh, dwell in the secret place, I got another sermon I call, I haven't got it preached yet, but all is well if you dwell. I'm not preaching on that tonight, but I just said a word about it to preach a little bit. 
I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, to Him will I trust. And then verse 3, I like to preach on this. Surely, I like to preach on the sureties of God. Surely, He shall deliver thee, whether He delivers you in advance or whether He delivers you out of, if you get caught sometimes, from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Would you call coronavirus a pestilence? Well, will He deliver you surely from the noisome pestilence? I looked up those two words recently, and the word noisome means to covet earnestly, to rush upon. I never looked that word up in all my years of ministry. And the word pestilence means to devastate. To earnestly covet, to come upon you and devastate you. He's the master devastator. He devastates homes. He devastates kids. He devastates finances. He devastates health. But he said, surely, surely, surely. That's a sound like a hundred percent guarantee if I can produce my cause. He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and the noisome pestilence. And then if you go up a little later in verse 5, he said, you shall not be afraid for the terror by night. Any of you ever thought you heard somebody? Hey, hey, where's my gun? I don't even have a gun. Where's my gun? I need a gun. I got a little pistol somewhere. I hadn't seen it in years. I dreamed the other night I shot somebody. Oh, I dreamed. Oh, I woke up almost crying. I'm, I'm, I got to quit here, y'all. Oh, I woke up crying. I had this little dream. And I had a big, pretty red bird around the side of the house, and I had me a new little BB gun. And he was just hovering around up there, and then on his breast he had a black, uh, he had an image of the black bird, but sort of a, a red bird, but sort of it's black. And he sort of bothered me, and I took my little BB gun, and I just held up my, I said, I said, somebody, I said, just shoot him. So I just let it go, and I, oh, a beautiful red bird just fell to the ground. And I woke up almost in tears. Ah, because I had killed that little red bird. Huh. Anybody want to interpret that, I guess? It's, don't kill red birds that have black tattoos on them, or black images on them. He said, you'll not be afraid for the terror nor for the arrow that flies by day. Don't be afraid of wrecks. Don't be afraid of the drunk coming at you. Don't be afraid of metal uh, arrows coming your way. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't, don't talk about luck. Don't talk about words that God don't use. Fate and luck and accident and chance. Put those words out of your vocabulary. Or you'll not be afraid for the pestilence that walks in darkness. Uh-huh. Don't be afraid for the pestilence that walks. So here's what I want to say to you tonight. If you're in a situation and you're in the middle of a battle of faith, or maybe it's hard for you to keep on, your faith's been wavering, your faith's been wavering and you've been struggling with your faith, and sometimes you just have to learn to put those things aside. When bad thoughts come, just throw them to the Lord and say, Lord, you take care of it. I'm not having it. You said you'd take care of it. I'm, I'm not having it. So if you're waving, but anyway, I want to do another song here at the end. If you need to come and pray and reignite your faith in this altar tonight and, and talk to the Lord about where you are in your faith, say, Lord, I want to be strengthened so I can move on to full faith in you in this area of my life. You promised it. I want to claim it. I, I, I want to get to, it, get to it, Lord, in Jesus' name.